0: Chapter Eleven of a History of Astronomy by Walter W. Bryant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eleven: Herschel, Bessel, Struve. It was in 1818 that Bessel's great work, already referred to, appeared containing bradley's stellar observations uniformly reduced to the epoch 1755 five years previously he had published the table of refractions from bradley's observations which he now improved with a revised theory and in 1821 and 1822 published in the konigsberg observations a number of his own observations of stars near the horizon to correct the table still further These latest results succeeded in getting rid of a curious anomaly, by which nearly every astronomer who determined the obliquity of the ecliptic from the summer solstice obtained a greater value than from the winter solstice. Though various suggestions had been made to account for this, it was generally felt to be due in some way to refraction, and Bessel's new tables seemed to be conclusive on the point, inasmuch as with them the anomaly disappeared there is still a little uncertainty attaching to determinations of constants depending on solar observations, a very recent suggestion being that the use of colored shades in observing the sun causes a small systematic difference in the result. Other important catalogues remaining to be noted, in addition to that of Piazzi in the early part of the century, are one of circumpolar stars epoch eighteen ten by stephen groombridge who observed at blackheath bessel's observations divided into two zones of declination minus fifteen degrees to plus fifteen degrees and plus fifteen degrees to plus forty five degrees known as bessel's first and second catalogues epoch eighteen twenty five and argillander's northern zones Declination plus forty-five degrees to plus eighty degrees, Epoch 1842. Stellar parallax was still being diligently sought, Piazzi, Brinkley, and others claiming success which Bessel at Königsberg and Pond from the Greenwich observations were unable to confirm. We have seen how the search for this evidence of the truth of the Copernican theory had resulted in the great discoveries of Bradley, besides having probably contributed to the first determination of stellar proper motion by Halley. It must also be noted that Herschel, by investigations in a different direction, with the same object in view, was led to the opening of a new branch of astronomical research. It was not at that time considered possible that stars should have any physical connection. The apparent closeness of the components of such a star as Castor, was held to be accidental, and it was assumed as almost an axiom that the fainter of two stars was necessarily the more remote, the underlying assumption that all stars are really equal, in itself inherently improbable, not seeming to occur to anyone. Instead of multiplying fundamental observations of a few stars through the year, in order to detect any variation in their relative positions, which might be ascribed to parallax. Herschel chose the much simpler plan of comparing the relative positions of pairs of stars, arguing that the brighter star, being supposed nearer, would show a parallactic displacement relative to the fainter, and that by using stars so apparently near together as to be visible in the same telescopic field, micrometric measures of the angle and distance would detect such displacement without the labour of determining the fundamental places. Some of the pairs examined by him did indeed show a relative displacement, but so far from this being an annual effect due to parallax, it became before long increasingly evident that it was an actual relative motion of the stars themselves, that by continued observation and measurement the period could be determined, and that the motion was such that the scope of Newton's laws could be extended to them far beyond the limits of the solar system, inasmuch as in every one of these distant systems equal areas were described in equal times. Such was the origin of double-star astronomy, a field entered with avidity by the celebrated Struve as soon as he was equipped with the great Dorpat refractor already mentioned. More than three thousand pairs of stars were catalogued by him, and a large number added by his son Otto Struve, so that the new branch established by Herschel was in no danger of neglect. Herschel himself was not content with this development. He thirsted to discover the origin and development of the systems seen in his telescopes, and following, though independently, the notion already suggested by Kant and adopted by Laplace and others, turned his attention to nebulae and clusters to search for evidence of progressive change. In the objects sought he was not more successful than before, but the result of his labors in this field is of immense value, the catalogues laboriously prepared and published being of fundamental importance to his followers in this branch. His first assumption, that nebulae were miniature milky ways, and their appearance caused by close grouping of stars, was gradually abandoned when he found that though some nebulae were resolvable, others were not, and that the light was of a different character from starlight, a result afterwards confirmed by the spectroscope. His division of the nebulae into classes was part of his scheme of evolution, from diffused nebulosity, through greater and greater apparent condensation, down to planetary nebulae assumed to be already solidifying in the center, and this theory has not yet been superseded, though the successive steps are too slow apparently for us to expect direct evidence of its truth. One other branch of sidereal astronomy, that of variable stars, was still in its infancy. With the exception of the celebrated new stars, to which in all probability we owe the catalogues of Hipparchus and Tycho Brahe, no variations in the heavens had been recorded other than those of the members of the solar system, with which we may now rank comets, since 1759 saw the verification of Halley's prediction of the return of the comet of 1682. Fabricius in 1596 noticed a star which three months later was invisible. It was, however, catalogued in 1603 by Bayer as O Seti, and soon discovered to be periodically fluctuating. Hevelius called it Mira, the Wonderful, and in 1667 Boulet determined its period of variability at 334 days. Before this another variable had been discovered in Cygnus, and soon afterwards, in 1669, the celebrated Algol joined the group, destined, however, to give the name to a new class of variables, inasmuch as the loss of light is held to be due to the interposition of a dark body revolving about the bright star. By the end of the eighteenth century a few more were known, but it needed the impetus given by Herschel's wonderful success in pointing the way to fresh fields open to amateur observers to establish this branch also. It was well nigh inevitable that Herschel's systematic survey of the heavens should put him on the track of variable stars, in addition to the other directions in which his genius and application bore fruit. One star noted by him, 55 Hercules, has apparently disappeared completely, but one important variable, A Hercules, is the discovery of Herschel's, and is also of great interest in itself inasmuch as it held an intermediate place between two different classes of variables into which the few then known were obviously divided, short-period variables which went through their cycle of variation in a week or less, and long-period variables whose cycles ranged between 300 and 500 days approximately. On Herschel's conjecture that variability might be caused by rotation, one part of the surface of a star being of different brightness to another it seemed inexplicable that the periods should be so very unequally distributed hence the discovery of a hercules with an apparent period of about sixty days was exceedingly welcome as tending to bridge the gap it appears now however that this period is illusory and that the variation is irregular in addition to the survey of the stars Herschel also scrutinized the surfaces of the moon and planets, noting some peculiarities in the former, which he described as lunar volcanoes, and taking special care with respect to Saturn among the latter. It is to him we owe the first announcement, that Saturn is not spherical, and that its outer satellite, Iapetus, like our own moon, turns always the same face towards its primary he was probably also the first astronomer who considered his eye as part of the observing instrument and was careful to adjust the position of his head in order to view such an object as a band on a planet in the same direction relative to the position of the retina and there is ample evidence that these precautions are of great importance personal equation in various forms being one of the most elusive and widespread varieties of systematic error herschel however was not the only genius at work in the early days of the century we have alluded more than once to bessel in connection with the reduction of bradley's observations undertaken at his training was as seems to be almost the rule rather than the exception strictly unscientific he was in fact employed in a mercantile house but wishing to qualify for the post of supercargo on one of the trading expeditions to the east, he was led from foreign languages to geography and thence to navigation and nautical astronomy, and finding delight in the new pursuit, he set to work eagerly to study mathematical astronomy, and at the age of twenty, deduced from the observations of Harriet of the apparition of Halley's Comet in 1607, an orbit of that body which he submitted to Olbers, the discoverer of Pallas and Vesta, who was also noted for cometary research. Olbers at once sent the paper for publication in Zach's Correspondence and made known the coming astronomer whom two years later he persuaded to give up his business career in order to succeed Harding, the discoverer of Juno, who had just been promoted to Gertingen from his post of chief assistant to Schroeder at Lilienthal. Four years later Bessel was chosen to superintend the new observatory at konigsberg then only being erected by the prussian government where he had worked from eighteen thirteen to eighteen forty five by his reduction of bradley's observations he practically put back the date of his improvements to seventeen fifty five and enabled the proper motions of many of the stars to be determined his improvements consisting of the accurate determination of the corrections for refraction aberration, precession, and nutation, were embodied in his tabulae Regiomontanai, or Königsberg tables. His catalogues already referred to were intended to supply a third fiducial epoch, for comparison with those of Bradley, 1755, and Piazzi, 1800, and that of Argolander was also indirectly due to him, for it was Bessel who trained and made an astronomer of argelander whose greatest contribution perhaps was the celebrated bon durkmusterung or survey of the whole of the northern heavens in zones made with a small instrument in order to have a large field of view available and get over the ground quickly this work contains approximate places and magnitudes of more than three hundred thousand stars and is accompanied by a set of maps containing the positions of all of these stars both for the epoch eighteen fifty five another notable achievement of bessel's was the first real determination of stellar parallax in his work already referred to he had deduced proper motions for several stars common to bradley's and piazzi's catalogues and having come to the very reasonable conclusion that the stars which showed most proper motion whether due to their own motion or to that of the solar system, were in all probability the nearest of the stars, he determined to search for parallax in the star that had the greatest known proper motion. This was a double star, 61 signi, noted by Piazzi as having a proper motion of more than five seconds of arc, which Bessel himself confirmed twenty years later. In 1837 he found time to devote the Kernsberg heliometer, already mentioned, to the problem, and soon deduced a parallax of one-third of a second of arc. The value was found too small, but it was the first direct success in the field so long plowed, and so fruitful in indirect and unexpected results. Struve at the same time was working at the same problem in connection with Vega, a Liri, with the Dorpat telescope, but his result, which was published after Bessel's, was three times too great. Before even Bessel's result was published, another star, beyond his reach, A. Centauri in the southern sky, had been proved to possess a still larger parallax. Henderson, for a short time director of the Cape Observatory, before being appointed astronomer royal for Scotland, brought back with him a series of observations of this star and learning that it had a large proper motion, examined the observations for a possible parallax, deducing one of a second of arc. He waited so long for confirmation that Bessel's result was published two months before his communication to the Royal Astronomical Society in january eighteen thirty nine. The distances of the stars thus determined are so immense that for convenience they are not measured in miles or even in millions of miles but in light-years, a light-year being the distance travelled in a year by light, which flashes at a speed of 186,000 miles in a second. Measured by this immense unit, the distance of a centauri is more than four, that is, if its light were suddenly extinguished, we would not know it for more than four years. Yet many of the brightest stars have as yet shown no parallax, and are probably at least a hundred times as far away as a centauri while some groups have been estimated to lie at a distance of some 3000 light years another achievement of bessels was the discovery of the orbital motion of the two dog stars sirius and procyon which in 1844 after a very refined series of measures he pronounced to be revolving about dark or relatively dark companions His death in 1846 forestalled the confirmation of his announcements, to which we shall refer later. His great contemporary, F. G. W. Struve, already mentioned as an ardent double-star observer, worked first at Dorpat from 1813 to 1837, and afterwards at the new observatory at Polkova, established on a lavish scale by the Tsar Nicholas. Who desired to eclipse every similar institution then existing, and procured what was long regarded as the finest instrument in the world, the great fifteen inch refractor, from the workshops of Fraunhofer's successors, Mertz and Mahler. We cannot too highly value his labors in the then novel field of double star observation. Unlike Herschel, who, as we have seen, was hunting for parallax and observed wide pairs struve confined his attention to stars separated by not more than thirty-two seconds of arc he concluded that an appreciable percentage of stars more especially brighter ones are provided with companions and that physically connected groups of three four or more stars undoubtedly exist after nineteen years of activity at polkova from the completion of the observatory in eighteen thirty-nine his health gave way entirely, and though he lived until 1864, his son Otto was practically director from 1858. Herschel's work required completion for the southern sky, and even in the northern part the extensive field in which he labored did not seem to attract a successor among the leading astronomers of the time. This honor was reserved for his son Jean, who quitted legal studies to take up double-star astronomy in conjunction with south about the time of his father's death the two were engaged in a series of measures of some hundreds of binaries which in many cases afforded striking proof of the correctness of the inference of orbital motion in eighteen twenty seven savary of paris demonstrated the applicability of newton's law to Ursae majoris and since then great improvements have been made in the method of investigation of double-star orbits with marked success. Between 1825 and 1833, John Herschel systematically surveyed the northern heavens, verifying his father's discoveries of nebulae and clusters, and adding hundreds more besides some three thousand double-stars. Then, fired with ambition to complete the survey, he transported his family and his reflector to the Cape, where at Feldhausen, near Table Mountain, He completed his task in four years, the full results being published in 1847. More than two thousand double stars and nearly as many nebulae were among the fruits of this undertaking, and much time was also spent in observations of the relative distribution of stars in continuation of similar work of his father's, to which we shall recur later. He was also able to observe an outburst of the wonderful variable star N. Argus involved in the Argo Nebula. Halley had seen it of fourth magnitude in 1677, Lassay and others, nearly a century later, of second magnitude. In December 1837, however, John Herschel saw it suddenly three times as bright as before, and a fortnight later, it was nearly the third brightest in the sky. It then faded, but was brighter than ever, and second only to Sirius in 1843, its changes and fluctuations being very unsteady, and unlike those of ordinary variable stars. It has long been invisible to the naked eye, having faded more or less regularly until 1887, since when a partial recovery has left it a dull red seventh-magnitude star. Its period, if indeed it has one, is quite unknown, and its behavior is still a most perplexing problem, differing on the one hand from new stars, which suddenly flash out and slowly fade, and on the other from the regularly fluctuating variables. Another branch of work pursued by him was stellar photometry. It had before been usual to make all observations of the brightness of stars differential, i.e., a star B was said to be fainter than A and brighter than C, and many sets of groups had to be compared in order to arrive at definite values. Herschel, however, compared each star separately with a standard, which was, in his case, an artificial star formed by moonlight totally reflected from the base of a prism the distance at which the artificial star appeared equal to any natural star gave a measure of the brightness of the natural star nearly two hundred stars in the northern and southern sky were thus gauged and their magnitudes set down in terms of that of a centauri he also determined the light of the moon in terms of his standard star, and as measures of the comparative brightness of the sun and moon had already been made, it became possible to compute the real brightness of some of the stars. John Herschel was knighted before his voyage, and made a baronet on his return, but the rest of his life was mostly devoted to the work of cataloguing the vast mass of observations already obtained and even this, as regards the double stars, he did not live to finish, though he reached his 80th year, dying in 1871. End of chapter 11. Recording by Richard Bryman, September 12th, 2020.